and um, didn't know what to do with myself or my time, and I've stumbled across an auction here in Mount Pleasant at Page's Thieves Market. Anybody know where that is? It's that red barn on the way out to Sullivan's Island, right? It's next to the Publix, and it's this place that's been there for decades. I mean, probably before Mount Pleasant. <laughs> but, uh, was it a fast talker off? Like, yeah, they got the whole microphone. <laughs> yeah, and so there's a there's a barn, this barn. It's like an antique store, kind of a a not nice antique, like more rustic, you know, antique store. And then behind it is a more trashy barn, and they that's their auction barn. And um, I stumbled across, it and I'm all, and I like I like to go look for old military stuff, you know, and so. It, I think it happened about every other Saturday. So every other Saturday, I just drive out there and bum around. And what you can do if you're not well, it turns out that there's quite a subculture to this. Okay, and so I started meeting people who were like totally into this, and people who were like reselling things. Some people had stores and they were buying furniture, and then other people were just reselling on eBay, and they knew all the ins and outs. And um, and so they have like furniture, uh, but they also have boxes of goods like somebody's kitchen and just put pots and pans or somebody's old old books or different things and like it's it's the lower level like so this isn't like Sotheby's you know like thousands <laughs> of dollars everything is, is an expensive item would, would go over a hundred dollars and so you can go through and then you just look in these boxes and you can just kind of dig through the boxes and it's the whole box that gets auctioned off of stuff you know and so I look in there for military, you know, medals or a helmet or patches, blah, 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 blah. Just, it looks like somebody's junk drawer got dumped in there because it's a lot of trash, but you got to dig through the trash to find the treasure. And that's the joy of, of the hunt for me. And so I would go through, and I found a few things over the years, interesting pieces. Um, I found uh, this spattering of, of military stuff in one box once that I bought for a couple bucks. And, like, I don't know, it was, just, it was a fun way to spend a Saturday morning. And I got to know this guy there named Bailey, and he was a, a flipper, basically. And he, would, he, he, he just knew values of stuff, and it would be the whole array of things. And so he would buy this old blender, and he's like, oh, actually, that sells on eBay for $85. You know, he'd buy it there for 20 or something and, and then flip it on eBay. And we're sitting there, and I'm talking, and we're talking as this auctioneer is going off. You know, it's like, you know, and, and, and I'm not really paying attention unless it's something that I'm, I'm interested in, and he's not paying attention unless it's something he's interested in. And um, there was a stuffed animal, and it was, like, clearly an old, dingy, well, that's just gross. You know, like, you don't want a, somebody else's stuffed animal, right? But it was big, and it was like a pig. Um, and it was sitting over there. And the, the auctioneer starts rattling off, and um, it starts getting up to be like 80, 90, 100 bucks, 120. And I'm sitting there talking, and then it clipped that, that they've got this ratty stuffed animal. And I'm like, wait a minute, are they, are they auctioning that thing off? And he's like, oh yeah, that's a Steiff. You heard of one of those? It's a, it's a German stuffed animal. It's got value, and who knew? I mean, the thing was dingy. I'm like, that's disgusting. Like, like the, the, one of the last things I want is like somebody else's stuffed animal, you know, some kid drooled on. Um, but it was going for all this money. And so this guy, he kind of knew his stuff. Um, but what else he would do besides the eBay gig was he would buy um, metal because it's an auction. So there might be something really ugly that nobody would want. And he would just take it in to get melted and get the value like, like um, brass. Okay, and so he knew that like right now the price of, of brass was I don't know six dollars an ounce or a pound or whatever, and so you'd have these you know grandma 1970s looking candlesticks that was like it's not in, in style right now it's not attractive um, it's tarnished and uh, he wouldn't want it because it was cool but he he would he would pick it up and he'd be like that's about such and such and it's worth therefore it's worth such and such, and so nobody wants it, so he, he puts a $2 bid in on it, and he would, he would get it. And so then he would take it like that day, and there's some place in the Charleston area that you can go, and you can take copper, aluminum, and brass, and just trade it in based on the weight, you know? So the weight determines the value of those things. And so um, he, Bailey and I were sitting there talking, and this, like, huge brass candlestick came up on auction. He's like, 
That thing is huge. And so he starts bidding on this thing, and he wins it. And he's like, that thing must be five, ten pounds. I mean, because it's, I mean, it was literally this big. And he went up, and he hadn't checked it out beforehand, which you're <laughs> supposed to do. And he grabs it, and he brought it back to me, and he he turned it like this, and you heard like all the sand running, and it was weighted, you know. And so like you picked it up, and it felt chunky and heavy and everything, but it was hollow, and it was weighted. And he's like hollow it's not worth what I thought it was worth uh, it doesn't have the weight that gives it the value um, the psalm that we're looking at um, talks about scales and the psalm that we're talking that we're looking at talks about um, being being weighed in and determining value and uh, Lauren and I like old stuff and um, so this is a scale that um, my mom Probably found at a garage sale. That's where I get it from. I used to hate going to. I was embarrassed. Now I love going to garage sales. My mom would find old stuff. Got a date on it from 1906. <laughs> but it's sitting on our. Uh, it's sitting on our counter, and we'll put we'll put um, fruits and vegetables on it. Not because we're interested in the weight, but because we think it looks cool. <laughs> All right. Um, but it, it works. You know, it's it's over 100 years old, and and it works. And you could still correct it back here with a little thing, and and so you know. But at the grocery store, if you notice, they've got scales like that. And, you know, if you're selling uh, fruits or vegetables by the pound and you want to determine the value, you stick it on there and you see how much it weighs. It, it weighs um, and that, that shows the value. So we all get that concept, all right? It's, it's, it's something um, that they've been doing for uh, millennium <laughs> is weighing things out to determine, to determine value. Um, and the scales have to be accurate, you know, in order to, to determine the value. So we're going to look at Psalm 60, 62. It's only 12 verses. Um, it is a song, as we've been talking about over the last uh, couple weeks, to be sung. Um, and like we have songs today, it's in stanzas. It's in three stanzas of four verses each. And what I want us to do is I want us to actually look at how this song ends, how it wraps up. Uh, so that we can get the full value um, as we go back to the beginning and look at it from the top down. All right. So if you would, look at Psalm 62, verse 9. And we're going to look at 9, 10, 11, 12 uh, to, get, to begin our understanding of Psalm 62. All right, it says, Those of low estate are but a breath. Those of high estate are a delusion. In the balances, they go up. And that's what it's referring to here is a scale, like a balance. Okay, In the balances, they go up. They are together lighter than a breath. Put no trust in extortion. Set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, set, your heart, set not your heart on them. Once God has spoken, twice have I heard this, that power belongs to God, and that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love. For you will render to a man according to his work. Once again, let's look at 9 and 10. Those of low estate are but a breath. Those of high estate are a delusion. In the balances they go up. They are together lighter than a breath. Put no trust or hope in extortion. Set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. This is a psalm that talks about who you're putting your hope and your trust in. And, uh, and the good Bible school answer is that we put our hope and our trust in God, right? That's what the psalmist is saying. And he's wrapping up this psalm by saying, put not your hope in things that are not going to be able to be found uh, weighing on the scales. And so this is not a reference to the character of people of high estate or of low estate. All right? This is not a character judgment, but it is saying that people ultimately at the end of the day, whether you're a normal Joe or somebody who's as high as a king or a president or a prince or a principality, um, you cannot put your hope and your trust in them because it will not give you the rock to stand on. So when verse 9 says those of low estate are but a breath, think about how much a breath weighs. That's because this is what it's talking about the balance here, all right? <laughs> you know? It, it, it weighs nothing. It is, it's literally saying that they are but a breath, that there is no value in your life to base your hope, your glory, your salvation on people 
even if it's a regular Joe. Verse 9, if those of low estate are, are but a breath, those of high estate are a delusion. Other versions say a lie, meaning it's, it's deceiving. Why is it deceiving? Why, why do you think that's deceiving? If those of low estate are a breath and those of high estate are a delusion, what's the, what's the, what's the delusion here? chase after these status, money, power, things that you and put your hope in all of that, then when it all comes down to the end of the day, it's not going to get you anywhere. That's truth, but I don't think that's what this half of this verse is saying. Those of high estate are delusion. I was going to finish with... I'm sorry. And I was going to finish with when you see these people held high and regarded... It's an illusion to think that they're all this stuff they've got will get you will get you what you want. Mm -hmm. Will get you where you want to be in life. So don't fall for the illusion. It's a mirage. There you go. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't let you finish. That's, that's all right. Now. Don't don't <laughs> we all at some level put value in in other important people? I mean, doesn't it, I mean, how many, t I mean, I don't know how many times when somebody who I, at some point, put value on, and they show me attention, or give me praise, or, or bring me into their circle, doesn't it just lift me up, you know what I'm talking about? Doesn't that, doesn't that make me feel better? And like, there's nothing wrong with, with feeling better, or receiving praise, or somebody complimenting you. But how, how often do, are we lied to, not necessarily by the character of the people, but by thinking with my connection with them or my association with them or with their protection, that I am therefore able to build my life on them somehow. Does that make sense? Um, because if, like, it would be hard for us not to fall into the trap of, you know, if, if the king... If we had a king and the king wasn't, you know, all for me, then my, all my needs would be met. You know that he's on my side. That I have the support. I have the security. Those of highest state are but a delusion. They are just like the breadth of the scale that has no value for you to build your life upon. It, it doesn't affect the balances. It says they are together when you combine their total worth. And again, this is not talking about the worth of a soul here, all right? But the worth of determining um, your life's value, security, and, sal and salvation. They are together lighter than a breath, holding no value for you to build your life upon. Verse 10, it says, okay, if people won't do that for you, put no trust in extortion, set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase... Set not your heart on them. All right? So even the physical things of this world, maybe it's, it's money, maybe it's status, maybe it's position, maybe it's your job, uh, maybe it's your reputation, maybe it's your education. Set no hope on these things. If riches increase, all right, and this is actually the first two things it mentions, extortion and robbery, are, are things that people do to set themselves up, Right? Why would anybody commit these kind of crimes, extortion or robbery, if it weren't to put themselves in a better position, to try to help tip the scales more in their favor so that they have more to stand on, so that they have more identity, so they have more wealth, so that they have more status, something to get them what they want. That's why you do those things. But as this verse ends, and it says, if riches increases, and this is speaking of in a um, non-criminal way, if 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 things do go your way and you do start making money and things are successful for you, set not your heart on them because they will hold no weight either. Verse 11, once God has spoken, twice have I heard this. This is, this is a song, all right? This is lyrical. This is proverbial. And it's basically saying the things that I have seen over and over in my life are true. You know, I've seen this truth, and then I saw it again, and then I saw it again. I have seen God work. Bones and I were talking this morning how he has seen God work in his life throughout the course of this week. 
Lauren and I have talked about how, how God has been good and faithful to us over and over. You know, Once we've seen it, twice we've heard it again. That's what it's speaking of here, verse 11. Once God has spoken these truths, and I've heard it, and I've seen it with my own eyes, twice I've heard this, that power belongs to God, and that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love, for you will render to a man according to his work. That power belongs to God, and that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love, and for you, for you will render to a man according to his work. These last two verses give us a description of the God that we are to build our life upon. All right, the character traits of our God. It says, to you belong what in these verses? Look at it. To you belong power and love. Power, love. In the last verse, at the end of, the, of, the, of verse 12, it says, For you will render a man according to his work. This is justice. You get what you deserve. This is justice, that our God is a God of justice. And these three things show themselves to be the God that we must put our faith, hope, trust in in a God who has all the power in the universe um, but has not love is a God that you need to fear I'm not talking about awe fear here I'm talking about shaking in your boots because he will get you fear a God who has power and all the might but yet has no love and has no mercy is a God that we ought to fear. A God that has all the love and all the mercy in the universe, but has no power, is really of no value to us, right? I mean, like, Lauren has a dog, Bella, and if Bella loves Lauren, that's really nice, but that's not gonna help us in a financial crunch. You know, that's not going to help us if we're having problems in our marriage. You know, that's not going to ha- help us if we're having problems raising our child. You know, it's one of those things where, like, the dog can give love, but, I mean, if there's no, if there's no means here, then, okay. So if there's a God who has all this love and all this mercy but has no, no power to do anything about it, then it's kind of like, well, that's nice, but it doesn't really have anything to do with my life, you know? And if there's a God who has all the power and all the love but is not just... And he's not God. You know? He can't be trusted. He isn't trustworthy. So you have these three amazing character traits that all work together and that all make the God that we see described in the Old and the New Testament. The God that does have the power, the God that does have the love, and the God that does have the justice. I want to talk about these for a few minutes because these three things are what the rest of the psalm is built upon. This God. It's saying that this God is trustworthy because he has the power, he has the love, he has the justice. So let's look at the power of God in a different psalm. Psalm 46. If you would flip there, back in the book of Psalms. Psalm 46. Uses some of the same verbiage. but is more descriptive in the sense of it talking about the power of our God. Psalm 46, God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, what is the therefore, therefore? Therefore, because he is our refuge and strength, therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth give way, though the mountains be moved into the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble, and it's swelling. Look at this picture. I mean, this is saying we will not fear even though the earth is crashing around us. I mean, these, these are scary pictures that we're seeing here in this psalm. God is our refuge. He will protect us. And he is our strength because we are weak. He is very, a very present help in our time of trouble. Verse 2, therefore, we will not fear Even though the earth gives way, it collapses. Though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, 
And though the waters crash and roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Salah. You see that? It's a word that's used in the Psalms, and it's a word that calls the singer or the reader to pause and reflect. Our refuge and strength, even though the earth crashes, the waves swell and foam, and the earth gives way beneath us. Verse 4 through 7 is very peaceful. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, or the people of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when the morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice and the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Again, this, this description of, of, of chaos. Kingdoms totter, nations rage, and he utters his voice and the earth melts. The God of Jacob is our fortress. The God of Jacob is the God who split the Red Sea when the Egyptians were chasing them down to annihilate them. The, the God of Jacob is the God who provided manna in the desert when they had nothing to eat. The, the God of Jacob is the God who is their fortress. It is not just you know, our God, but this God who has done these things for his people. This is the God who is our fortress. This God of mighty power. Verse 8. Come, behold, Look and see what the Lord has done, the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolation to the earth. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow. He shatters the spear. He burns the chariots. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us, the God of Jacob, is our fortress. That, the, that this God of power allows nations to rise and he blows them down with breath. He causes the earth to be created and he causes it to be destroyed. Desolation has come upon the earth, but he can make a war stop at the snap of a finger that he allows kings to rise and he puts them down in their place. That he is the God of power at all times in every way. That he has the power. He has the power. He always has had the power. And he always will have the power. This is the God of power that Psalm 62 is talking about. But it also says that to you, verse 12 and 62 chapter 62, and that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love. So not only do we have the power that belongs to God, but you are a God of steadfast love. So the, word, the term steadfast love is, is mentioned nearly 200 times throughout the course of Scripture. That, that, that God so loved the world, the most well-known verse in the Bible John 3.16, that, that this God of power loves you deeply, that he cares for you, that when Jesus was dying on the cross, somehow he was able to say, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. For God so loved the world why? I'm not sure. But he loves. He loves deeply. He, he loves unconditionally. I was watching, um, this was years ago. Remember the show Cops? Tell me, raise your hand if you remember Cops. Okay, good. Hope this isn't insulting, but I always felt a little white trashy whenever I was watching it. Because um, it's just people getting busted, you know, and you're intrigued with it, you know. <laughs> I'm being entertained on my Saturday night watching people get tased and jammed in the back of a police car. And it's like, 
that's nice. <laughs> I guess it made me feel better because I'm not them. But I'm, I, I have this distinct memory of watching one episode where a son, like a teenage son, um, had gotten violent with his mom. This was a long time ago. And I don't remember. She had reason to call the police. And so I don't know if he had gotten physically abusive or if she was afraid. Um, and so the cops show up, and um, he was screaming at his mom, you know, how could you do this, you know, I can't believe you would do this, I'm getting arrested, and was just beside himself, and uh, was legitimately, you know, scary, like you could understand why she called the cops, and, um, and the mom was crying, and, but she was saying, she was crying, and she was saying, I love you, I love you. I love you. And I just remember making the connection there of, of, of God's unconditional love. Of like, the things that we do or don't do don't determine this character trait of our God. That when we, when we blow it, when we sin, when we do things we ought not do, when, when we feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit and do it anyway, and then feel that flood of, of guilt and regret, that God so loved you. In spite of the worst sins, the most heinous, the most uh, blasphemous sins, that this, this God loves unconditionally. So much so that he would give himself, that he would give God to offer a way for those sins to be justified, to adjust God, so that we could be saved. So that we, we could have a, a right relationship made between the God of all power, love, and justice. That, that if, if we could look physically into the eyes of Jesus... And if we were then to, to spit in his face, he could say in, in absolute sincerity, I love you. Just like I did before you spit in my face. I love you. And I will die for you. I will die for you. I will give my life for you. That's love. Is In the context of, of God... I mean, what else? What else can you do to show that steadfast love? You know, uh, what other what what other form of display is there than this kind of love? And through the gospel, we see the justification of sin, and that our God can be powerful, loving, and just equally. Let's go back and look at the beginning of the psalm. All right, Psalm 62, verse 1. God alone, my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. How long will all of you attack a man to batter himself? To batter him. Like a leaning wall, a tottering fence, they only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood, they bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. Salah. The psalmist here begins by saying these things. about his God. For God alone, my soul waits in silence. This God, right here. For God alone, my soul waits in silence. Patiently. Patiently because I, I trust. I believe in this God. From him comes my salvation. 
He only, my, my, my trust is not shared. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. Verse 3 and 4 show us that times are not peachy for the psalmist here. That things are not just glorious in his life. And he says, how long will all of you attack a man to batter him? Like a leaning wall getting ready to fall and crash under the ground. A tottering fence. They only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. That this is not coming from somebody who is saying, you know what? Times are great. My business is successful. My relationships are awesome. My children are walking with the Lord. My finances are in order. My future is secure. I know where I'm going. I know what I'm about. My, my confidence is high. My parents are doing well. My friends are good. I have the car. I like the way that I look. Things are good. God, you are awesome. It's not what's going on here. He is saying that my hope is not in any of those things. Because things aren't good right now. But my trust is put in the one place that I can build my life on. That, that, that the God that is my rock and my fortress has weight. Just to use the same terminology, um, I brought rocks of love, of power, and of justice. It affects the scales that there is something that now has value, immense value, innumerable value, an undefined value that I can then build my life on. Because it has weight. It is worthy of the scales. And it shows itself. It is not the breath, the delusion, lighter than a breath that it speaks of in verse 9. That there is a rock in a fortress that is my salvation alone and only. Uh, the second stanza, starting in verse 5. Very, very similar. For God alone, O my soul... Wait in silence, patiently. For my hope is from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. My fortress, I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory. My salvation and my glory. This is speaking of not only salvation in the internal context, but glory is in my reputation. Who I am is built on nothing that I have other than the rock of my God. That, that he is enough to be my identity, my reputation. That he is my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is in God. Trust in him all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Salah. Let's take God off the balance. money in the world, all right, is represented here. You know, this would be nice to put my hope, my trust, and my glory in. It has, it has no weight. best friends and family I could ever hope for. I mean, legitimately, Christian friends, great community, awesome, meaningful community group, 
mom and dad and siblings who were pursuing the Lord and lifting me up and they got my back and I put my hope, my faith, and my trust and my identity in them. I worked hard for my degree, you know, got good grades, have status and um, opportunity. And it's not here, it's, it's, it's somewhere else. And you put a lot of years into this and you put a lot of money into it. Or maybe your parents put a lot of money into it. Um, and maybe you, you found, you're close, you're looking for, you're hoping in that, that job that will take you through your life, you know, that career that you'll, you'll build on. And, uh, and support your, your spouse one day and your children and your family. And, and that's, that's what you, you build some identity and, and your hope and, 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 and build your life on. Everything else in the world. Say all the world was yours. Every car, every kingdom, every piece of land, every friend was your best friend. Every dollar was yours. We see through scripture that that there are good things um but those good things can't be mistaken for the rock and fortress of our salvation. But that is a flaw of man. That I see in my own life that I take a good thing, a job, I enjoy my job a lot. I find meaning in my job. I support my family with my job. Um, I worked for my job, went to school, and did all that. It's good things. I think that they're noble things. I think they're even godly things. But if Danny, if I allow there to be a shift in my mind and in my heart that I begin to build my hope and my identity on my job, then I'm sinning. And I'm setting myself up for disappointment and ultimately disaster. Because it is a misplaced heart. I am then turning a good thing into absolutely valueless pieces of printer paper that have no weight on this scale. Have no weight. Faith, faith grows the clearer we see our situation. Faith grows the clearer we see our situation. And the psalmist here in chapter 62 is working at, at singing truth to, to continue to clarify his situation, which he is saying, I have nothing that I can put any sort of hope in except you, O oh God. In this whole psalm, there is not one petition of God. There is not one request made of God. That there is an absolute laying back and saying, you alone and you only will I completely submit myself to. Thy will be done. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I will have no other wants than what my shepherd provides me. We've been talking about that at Connect. That, 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 that you are the God that I can trust because you are powerful. That you are the God that I can rest in because you are loving. That you are the God that I can sit back in the, in the, 
the crappy situations that I might be walking through in my life, and I know that you will render to a man according to his work. Let me read you Psalm, 73, or Psalm 37 that we looked at last week. It says, Mark the blameless and behold the upright, meaning take note of the man who pursues God's ways. There is a future for the man of peace, but on the contrary, the, transgressor, the transgressors shall be altogether destroyed. The future of the wicked shall be cut off. The salvation of the, of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their stronghold in a time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and he saves them because they take refuge in him. You will render to a man according to his work, that you will reward the righteous and you will punish the wicked. And that is enough for me, that I can trust in that. To say, put all your hope in God. It's true, but man, it's, it's, it's cliche, isn't it? You know? To, to say that um, God is my rock and my refuge and my fortress is awesome. And a mighty fortress is our God is a great song hymn that kind of gets me up and going when, when we sing it, especially in the sanctuary service. Um, but that's hard. It's, it's hard to continually do. And what the psalmist is calling us to here is to continue to go back and work to see life clearly. Because we get deceived. We fall for the delusion sometimes that my relationships or my finances or my career or my friends somehow allow me to be more secure in this life and it's not true there are times when I'm having a bad day and it might be a bad day because of work it might be a bad day because um, Lauren and I are working through some sort of issue and I'm in a tiff it might be a bad day because uh, we got an unexpected bill and it eats into our savings more than I wanted it might be a bad day because just the car is breaking down. Blah, 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 blah. And I find myself and my mind and my heart dampening. You know? Even with the superficial stuff. And it's not like I'm in this pit of despair shaking my fist at God saying, Why is life so hard? But I still find myself in a place where I ought not be because my hope is not found in ultimately the gospel. Because this is the gospel. That there is power in the work of Jesus Christ. That there is love in the work of Christ on the cross. And there is justification that is found through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And if I'm finding myself or my emotions, or my heart, or my mind going to darker places, or whiny places, or pity parties, or, or woe is me places, then I'm taking the rock off the scales and I'm putting the printer paper on the scale. And that's blasphemy. And the psalmist is saying, I know this stuff, but I have to work to remember it. Oh, I have to keep going back to these truths that I have nothing but what God has given to me and that will be the fortress that I run to. I am not, I love my wife with all my heart, but I'm not guaranteed to have her for the rest of my life. You know? We have a savings account not guaranteed I have a job it's not guaranteed I have health that I could lose this afternoon and never get it back you know I have friends that are not promised to me you know 
I have, I have a career right now that isn't guaranteed tomorrow. Nothing. Nothing can I build my hope and trust on. Even the good things. Except the gospel of power, love, and justice. I don't think this is new information, you know, for us. But what we need to do as we look at this text is, is evaluate ourselves and say, what does my scale look like? And that's what I want you to do right now, because it could be different yesterday than it was today. It might be different tomorrow, because we have to keep going back to these truths and making sure that we are putting the rocks on the scales. That it's not a breath that's on the scale that we're trusting in. So ask yourself, honestly, you know, in the areas of life, relationships with your friends or contentment level with uh, a meaningful relationship, if it's a guy you're dating or a girl that you're dating, career or lack thereof, or debt, or finances, or insecurity, or your health. Where are you putting your hope and your trust, and where are you running? We only have one hope, and this is a song of praise. Father, I thank you for being our God, and for being the rock that will not be shaken, though the earth crashes around us. Father, I thank you for being a God of love, even though we are not lovely. Father, I thank you for being a God of justice that we can trust and that we can rely on the gospel to justify our sins and that you will look at us as sons and daughters. May we continue to go back to this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you all. Um, Frisbee today. Hopefully you can make it. Um, sign up for uh, uh, helping out in the nursery if you have the opportunity to be here mm. on Easter. Um, and no connect this Thursday. But I appreciate you all being here this morning. It's a joy to be with you. Lauren and I love spending time with you guys. So hopefully I'll see some of you on the Frisbee field. Lauren and the baby will probably make an appearance. She doesn't know how to throw the frisbee yet. She's still in training. Yeah. One day.
Canada. How are you doing, sir? You're good. You're doing well? Sure. 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 Sure.